Hi, and welcome to Brothers Without Banners. I'm Dan, and I'm here with my brother Michael to help lead him through his first time reading A Song of Ice and Fire. We'll be diving into the chapters we're discussing today and those we read before, but the only spoilers beyond the chapters we discuss will come from Michael's vague memories of the first three seasons of Game of Thrones, the TV show, which he watched a decade ago. Today we're discussing Tyrion 9, John 9, and Catelyn 11 of A Game of Thrones. How's it going, Michael? It's good. You know, sometimes when you do the introductions, I like to listen to how, like, you don't take a breath. You're like, and then his recollection to the TV shows. And then <gasps> I have a fun time listening to that. It's fun I, to... <laughs> I like to, I like to mix up the way that I do it, you know, like, like <laughs> try and get fancy with it. It's fun. I want to have like a super compilation of every episode's intro. For <laughs> just like, that that's fun. what our next episode should be is just like super comp. It's our clip show. Yeah, exactly. Well, we've, uh, we've had a little bit of a break here. How you been doing? I've been good. I've been good. I've been thinking a lot about this book. I, I I had a blast reading these three chapters, and I realized something, Dan. I think I said it last episode. What's We're kind of almost done with this book. Yeah, we uh, we next week is just going to be the one final chapter. We're we're just about there, so this is cruising into the finish line here. It struck me reading the chapters this week that I was like, oh, there might be one more chapter left, but all the chapters are different characters, like. I've already read the last chapter for, you know, Tyrion. Yeah. And I've read the last chapter for, you know, I don't whoever we read, John, and for, you know, uh, who was it, Catelyn. Yeah. It's like, wow. And I, it, it just struck me this week. I was like, oh, shit. Like, I'm not about to learn more about their story next week. Like, like I'm going to, like, their ships are, are sailed at this point. It's, yeah. It's, it's a wacky, like, feeling of it. Absolutely. You know, it makes for an interesting aspect I know a little bit about. <laughs> Uh, what's taking George R. R. Martin so long with the new books because those types of questions of where do I want to end each character's story becomes something that's kind of unique to this genre uh, where you have to have that consideration rather than having a kind of build up to a grand finale for everybody since everyone's so scattered about. Uh, it makes it makes for an interesting question of how do you structure individual character arcs alongside each other and bring them to satisfying ends or cliffhangers or whatever it is you're trying to do all at the same time. Yeah, I'm sure that's what stopped him from finishing the last book, not the bogo cash that he's made from the Game of <laughs> television show and the books. To be honest, yeah, a little bit of everything, a little bit of everything for sure. Uh, but with that said, I'm exce- I'm hungry. Let's get into let's, the let's chapters, right? Take us away. Tyrion to start. Tyrion. Which Tyrion is this? How, how many Tyrions do we have this book? The last Tyrion. No, this is Tyrion 9 that we're working with here. So, you know, we're, we're coming up on these final totals of characters, and we're really getting a sense of who's had the most time. And, you know, the Stark sisters are five or six each. They're kind of lower down. I think Bran is around the same place, too. But Tyrion, we've gotten a lot of Tyrion. Nine is up there. Well, I'm glad because Tyrion's fun. Although I'll say, I don't love him around his father. Yeah, uh, really brings out the worst says, in him. Yeah, pissy was the note that I had for him during this <laughs> chapter. But why don't we jump in? Um, we, we're, we're starting here. So just as a little bit of recap of where we were previously with Tyrion, is he joined his father with his sort of like like hill people that he found. Mm-hmm. They were sent into battle, which he felt he was being put in as a sacrifice, which Tywin, his father said yes yeah, kind, kind of, of verified basically. that i uh, but then you know the battle ended and everybody felt really positive about it except they then found out quickly thereafter that rob had tricked them yeah it was decoy. Uh, rob went to river run exactly 
Uh, and that's where we're picking up now. The battles are over, but the conversation about what's just happened is going on. And it's sort of Tyrion sitting at what I'll refer to as the high table with Tywin and some other advisors and generals right. that are, are up there with him. We're back, and they're back to of... the office planning sessions. Exactly. Uh, and, uh, and we start, I think the opening line kind of starts us in exactly the right place, which is, they have my son, Tywin Lannister said. And he's talking about Jamie. Yeah. Uh, this is what we know from the last, I think, Rob chapter or Catelyn, Catelyn. chapter. Uh, but right, they captured Jamie Lannister. And this is where it's starting. I I want to go through the specifics of this chapter and like really run through it. But I think that we're we're watching, and especially now that we're at the end, the final Tyrion chapter of the book, right? But like we really are watching a lot of issues that we've seen build over the last half of the book coming to a head here mm -hmm. uh we're you know what joffrey has been doing down in king's landing is making an impact on the next strategies that tywin's gonna have to do we'll get into some of the specifics but right. a lot of things are tying in together uh in a way that surprised me but i thought we'd, we'd go through the book and get yeah there's an interesting criticism of tywin to be had uh in in these sort of scenes and especially leading up to the, the that first battle with rob where he doesn't seem to think all too deeply about other people's autonomy and their ability to their agency their ability to make their own choices and so we're starting to see that play out both in terms of his expectations and his certainty about what rob would do where the chess pieces were going to move and now seeing a little bit with his frustration when the people on his own side are not approaching things the way that he imagined they would and it kind of kind of messing with his plans there uh and it, it makes sense because you can see how a great military commander as he's often been described would be really good at predicting where people are going to go and, and looking a few moves ahead and here we're seeing some instances where that has failed him uh a, a skill he's presumably relied upon for a long time is just not correct this time and i'll add to that too something that really i mean just going off of that because that, that was striking me as well but I think that something that defines Tywin's abilities is his ability to move forward, not necessarily his his greatness from what happened. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're seeing here is is he you know quite thoughtful about how he's about to move forward. But you know it, yeah, I often think of great warriors as those who won all their battles, not those who figured out the best next battle to go to. Right. And it was just an interesting per perspective. Well, that makes sense. But we have we have Tywin starting off this chapter by bringing us into exactly what he knows, which is that. River Run has happened. They have Jamie, uh, Tyrion, whose eyes were watching this chapter occur through. He's he's basically in his own head for the majority of this chapter. There's a little bit of conversation he actually verbalizes towards the end, but here he's thinking about you know his own brief taste of battle. Uh, he's pissy towards his own father, which just comes out in the I I think in these sort of little petulant thoughts that he has. You know, right? Ugh, my father doesn't understand love. My father does whatever he's saying, and uh, well, he, he leads off one of your sons. He's already upset. I mean, <laughs> of, putting aside all of the baggage that they have in their relationship, which is obviously informing Tyrion's reaction here. Of course, Tywin is upset that they captured his son, and it would be weird for a father to say they have one of my sons in this context right. you know like yeah. that's that's not the exclamation that comes out when you're upset and so for Tyrion to give him crap about that uh really just reflects all of the problems that they've had before just his and baggage, how, yeah how Tyrion sees himself or, or believes Tywin sees him as compared to Jamie. Uh, we find out that they are having this conversation at the inn where Tyrion mm -hmm. was captured and more than which which Tyrion's not the hottest to be like he's not that excited to be back there right uh 
But we also find out that they're at this inn because Tywin has set a grueling pace for his entire troops. There has been no time to rest. There has been no tending to the wounded. Right, they just they have, left them. They are on a mission to try to get to this battle where Rob was, to River Run, if I'm not misunderstanding. And then we find out again, I mean, like, this is three paragraphs into the chapter, where we find out that it's all been for nothing. That Rob had really devastated River Run days and days ago at this point like like they're not about to join the battle uh they, th- that battle is gone and lost yeah you know it's interesting to see tywin make this choice here because it seems very emotional which is not an mm-hmm. adjective we've heard to describe him and certainly not a side of him we've seen in the few interactions we've had just as a matter of geography i mean they're taking the the two sides of the triangle while rob cut across the diagonal they had no shot of getting there in time to help and knowing the way that the map is set up, surely Tywin knew that too, and yet he still had to try uh, at severe cost to his own men, to the wounded and to the sick and to the injured and, and, and to his numbers. And it just makes it seem like a stupid emotional decision that he's making rather than the cold and calculating facade that we often see from him. Although I will add to that, though, as a little bit of a pushback, it, it, not that I disagree totally, but... We do find through conversation that's about to happen through this chapter that this is a devastating blow to the strategic positioning that, mm-hmm. that Lannisters are in. And if there was any slim chance of being able to join into that fray, you know, not just save Jamie, but like Save the war. Yeah, like like yeah. save save what's going on here. Because because this chapter ends spoilers about the chapter, right? But like like the chapter ends with with a real understanding that that the Lannisters are in a real shit position. It, their whole position is flipped, right? From what was highly strategically like like advantageous to, I mean, really just being so fucked. Yeah, absolutely. No, that makes um, that makes a lot of sense. Just kind of hail mary, yeah. so to speak. I we have there, there's there's an interesting sort of I don't want to call it a banter, but this sort of like you know mob-like conversation that's happening at this sort of round table of strategists and generals with Tywin. We find that Tywin, as through Tyrion's eyes and, and explanation, it has a has a habit and, and an admirable one of sitting quietly while others talk before he d- jumps in. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have here. We have a lot of others talking here. Although I can't say that they're all that great to listen to. Harris Swift is, I, I don't know, and maybe he's been brought up before, but, but seems like just a ranking general or... or like high ranking man who happens to be sitting at this table with them yeah he's just one of one of the various bannermen that are are on the lannister side here and he becomes the mouthpiece for panic uh of the situation not right. in the moment you know but how could this have happened how how could jamie have been so dumb to split his camp into threes the way that he did and uh and and all of these things and there's a back and forth here we have an understanding that this is the only way to try to hold river run that that it's not this was not poor calculation by Jamie. Uh, right. We also find, and and I might be, and hopefully you can you can tie it together for me. But you know, some of the characters I lose track of some of the names and and who's who. But we have an understanding. I think there's a man who was at River Run yes. who's come back down here and is explaining sort of what happened. I uh, there's questions that come up, which is how could they not have known that Rob and his armies were approaching? Where were you know, where were the your scouts? The scouts missed it, yeah. Yeah, so there's a guy here who presumably was dispatched, you know, as the battles began, mm-hmm. uh, and so has some sort of insight into what's going on. But someone who was there, whether it was Jamie, probably not Jamie since he got ambushed, but somebody had the uh, the 
the presence of mind to get a message to the other army so that they would be informed mm-hmm. as to what was going on and, and could react to it. Um, and and we find out that, that there's... I mean, I they don't say it this way, and I don't know if I love saying it this way, but, like, I don't think it's bravado that screwed the Lannister, the Jamie Lannister armies up at River Run. Like, like it was... They, they did what they were supposed to. The one thing that struck me is, like, if you're... If you're because this is the excuse that the that the messenger kind of gave, which is, you know, our scouts, some scouts just didn't return. We assumed that it was, I think it was raiders of some kind, like... like yes, yeah, or Mark like, Piper. Like marauders. Yeah, yeah. It, it just some of the river lords, uh, some of the, the lords in the Riverlands who had escaped so far and were around, and as a result were able to kind of harry them and do little things here and there, but they had no idea that an army was approaching on them. I think you're right that the camps specifically did not particularly do anything wrong. Uh, The scouts should have been out and been more prepared. You know, you're at war, and I think that maybe there was a loss of vigilance. But the problem here is Jamie's. And, you know, I don't know if maybe people don't want to say that outright to to Tywin. Uh, Of course, Sir Harris Swift was saying it to some degree. Um, But Jamie, by marching out and being restless and being anxious to get to fighting, you know, this kind of brashness that we've seen from him before is what led to that initial ambush let them cut off the leadership and then take the, the camps in turn. The camps themselves need to be protected and led because of the way that they're arranged. And so somebody who was more subtle, more cautious in their approach might have been better able to do that. And I think Jamie really put them in a in an awful position. And really just have, on, on the heels of this, just more kind of commentary that comes up. I have a few things that I highlighted that I thought were interesting, mostly Tyrion's sort of internal comments. He's not saying anything out loud. We find out that, uh, you know, we find out uh, about a, a man named Lord Brax, who was clad in plate and mail and his raft overturned and he died gallantly or yes. whatever it was. And, and Tyrion's sort of internal comment is he died like a fool. Like, like what, what an idiot to be wearing this heavy metal in, on top of water right. and then drown. Uh, but it's, it feels like a lot of sort of Monday morning quarterbacking to me from Tyrion. Like, like, he really does come off really pissy to me. Yeah, this no, that's fair. That's fair. And I, I also think it's a place where he's not recognizing the immediacy of that situation. This wasn't mm-hmm. a planned out attack. They were taken at night. Uh, you know, Jamie had marched out and lost and they had no knowledge of that. Then all of a sudden there's an army on them. And we really do get a lot of how hectic it was from this courier who's here. Um, I also, you know, I also had highlighted the stuff about Lord Brax, who we had heard mention as just another one of those generals, but it's worth noting that this story gets brought up because Sir Flemont Brax asked about his father. So his we're father, learning about right. this uh, because of presumably the new Lord Brax, who is just finding out that he's stepping into that role and his father has passed. Yeah, he's getting a promotion. <laughs> uh, and, and this conversation continues. We get a real explanation of how the battle kind of let itself out. We find out that some cell swords that the Lannisters had on their side turned very quickly as the tides did. Uh, the Tyroshi sellsword. I don't know if we've heard that name before. I don't remember it. I don't uh, think so. But it didn't strike me as anything besides a name at this point. They have sellswords yeah. sellsword and... Yeah, so Ty- Tyrosh is one of the free cities. This is It's his ethnicity, mm, okay. not a name. Uh, but I don't think we had heard anything about him before, but it is merely a note that, that there were some mercenaries on the Lannisters' side who flipped sides, which, you know, seems like what mercenaries do when they're getting their ass beat, stay alive and make, make some more money. So Right. 
Uh, Harris Swift continues to be his, you know, bemoaning self. This is a catastrophe. Sir Jamie is taken. The siege is broken. It's a catastrophe. To which others are now saying, okay, we get it. But, like, now what do we do? Yeah, shut up. <laughs> and the answer is not happy. And this is what you and I were just talking about. What can we do? Jamie's host is all slaughtered or taken or put to flight. And the Starks and the Tully sit squarely across our line of supply. We are cut off from the West. They can march on Casterly Rock if they so choose. And what's to stop them? My lords, we are beaten. We must sue for peace. To which yeah. Tyrion opens his mouth and says, What peace? Joffrey killed Ned. Like, yeah. there's no bargaining chips to play with right now. Right. Right. And, you know, it's, it's not even just the bargaining chips. It's the lessons not learned from prior wars and the stories of the past that we've heard here, where the, these types of violent acts are met with resistance that they often lead to and create the resistance and that is just clearly not something that joffrey was thinking about at all in acting there uh and, and that maybe you know this is what i was referring to that that tywin would not have wanted to have happen he wanted to play it safe uh the way that cat was talking about how she expected cersei would you hold on to the hostages until you need them because they're worth something right. you don't take this act that is going to cement the rebellion against you yeah i th there's a little more banter back and forth here but it's really about the same stuff i uh, it ends the, the the banter ends with tywin again getting kind of emotional in a surprising way they, they have my son that they have my son i uh, you know what what are we gonna what the fuck <laughs> yeah this you is know? where i think i i I don't disagree with the point you were making before, but this is where I get more of the emotion mm -hmm. from his aggressive uh, march and from his, his hard march to try and get there. His reaction to this conversation, that was Sir Adam Marbrand that you were quoting earlier, who lays out the situation really perfectly well. They are in a really undefensible position. They are stuck between uh, uh, the Tullys and the Starks uh, with the, the Stark foot that they just defeated north of them and the Tullys and Starks to their west. They are cut off from back home. They are cut off from the lands that they're pledged to defend. And they have now a much smaller force than the combined Riverlands in the north. Um, this is a horrible position for them to be in. And although Tywin regularly waits and then speaks his mind after hearing from his counselors, he doesn't react to any of that at all. He says the same thing again. And the same thing that he's saying, once again, is mm -hmm. still focused on the fact of Jamie being captured. It's not, we're going to be defeated. We're screwed. We're in such a tough spot. It's, they have my son. And, you know, I think that emphasis really reflects what's going on in his mind here. You know, I like that, and I, I get that. Although I do want to put a pin in that and come back to it in, like, four more paragraphs. Because mm -hmm. there's a line that Tyrion has internally that I think speaks contrary to that but i, I want to bring it up as we get there okay um tywin does make this comment though and he follows up by saying everybody get the fuck out yeah get out and then he stops Tyrion, and he stops kevin yeah which i gotta say i like that there are some sort of like more classical mythological names and then there's kevin <laughs> gotta you gotta have a paul atreides you know <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> i uh yeah, I, I suppose that's true, Dan. I guess I never thought of Paul Atreides as that. Really? He's like the, the best example for me. That's my number one, is that everybody in Dune has those crazy names, and then there's Paul. Uh <laughs> well, yeah, but not to go too far off topic, but like Paul is like clearly like Paul the Apostle, 
Which is get, no, he, yes, he picked it for a reason. Whereas, like, Kevin, like, Apostle Kevin just hasn't, like, <laughs> shown up, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that one, that one doesn't land as well. You know, with the Wheel of Time, uh, yeah. since I reference it on here, their version of this is that pretty much all of the names that are used throughout that book are, like, regular, normal names, except they're all spelled one letter different from what they oh, would amazing. be in real life. <laughs> so I know like, that... Uh, there's a, it's like Thomas a, without the H and like, like just <laughs> random crap like that, like Daniel instead of Daniel. It's just over and over again. It really pulls you out of the moment every time you see one. You're like, really? I know from from the opposite direction. There's an anime called JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, and all the characters' names are like classic hair metal bands. Okay. Uh, it's like Ario Speedwagon is attacking us, and like it's 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 kind of great. That's awesome. Um, but it, yeah. So anyway, Kevin, spelled with a K E V A N. Yes. Uh, he is a uh, uh, uncle to. I think he's Tywin's brother. He's or he's yes. he's at that sort of level. He's, he's Tyrion's uncle. Tyrion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he's asked to stay as well. And I'll say right away, there's this sort of weird thing that happens where Tyrion says, "You know what? I'm going to go grab another drink from the cask, more wine." And Tywin says, "Sit down here. Take mine. I haven't even drank it yet." Yeah. And and for all of this sort of like animosity between these two, it's clear at this point that. Uh, two things kind of came up for me just with that simple action which is one maybe Tyrion is perhaps rightfully because of what we know but like biased about his father's own emotions towards him right uh is one and the other is is that man Tywin's must be pretty freaked out right now if he's just like you know taking his punching bag of a son and giving him you know being um we have uh and, and and that's quickly followed. <laughs> I like there's there's this little bit of like like bitter acerbic like back and forth that happens for a quick second, where uh, there it's criticism towards Joffrey. I think it's Tywin being like, man, like Joffrey really fucked us. Yep. And uh, Tyrion says Joff's only a boy. Uh, at his age, I committed a few follies of my own. To which to which Tywin responds, I suppose we ought to be grateful that he has not yet married a whore. Which yep. I just thought was like <laughs> such a good zinger. Just right back to to. <laughs> He can still lock in, you know? He's still got oh, it. He yeah. might be upset, he might be struggling, but he's still got it. Um, we do find out a new piece of information, and this is about Renly. Uh, and I think this mm-hmm. is told to us from Tywin. Tywin yes. has more information than, than we've been given already. Uh, we find out that, it, and I thought this was, at first I thought maybe I'd missed something earlier in the book, and then in, a, I think, a later chapter I realized I didn't. Um, Tywin says there's a new... There's a new king, basically. Yes. Uh, Renly has announced that he's the true king, uh, and he's also he's married. He married uh, a Tyrell. Marjorie Tyrell, yes. Marjorie Tyrell. Uh, Tyrell is the flowers guy, right? Yeah. So we know that Renly and the Knight of Flowers, uh, Loras Tyrell, were kind of a, a tandem. Uh, we also heard the story of Renly trying to see if Robert was interested in Marjorie, mm-hmm. and this was, you know, the Tyrells maneuvering within the Baratheon court. So this seems to be Renly's base of power. These are the people that he's kind of uh, gotten into political bed with, and I guess literal bed with uh, now. Um, so he's kind of taken, now that Robert's out of the picture, he's taken that role on for himself. I'll marry Marjorie, I'll get this big house to my side, and, and he's declared himself king, as you said. Which is an enormous declaration. This is this is anarchy. This is this is treason. I mean, like a few of of the characters in this book, Renly included, if I'm not mistaken, but a few of the characters in this book, although you and I as 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 readers 
are well aware of the break in the lineage that, mm-hmm. that is Joffrey. But this is not public knowledge. This is right. not like like well known. You now have somebody saying, "I want to be king. I am rebelling against the current king," and and the Tyrell house has bowed knee, bowed, like like bent knee to him, right? And saying, "We agree. We're going to go on this rebellion with you," which I just thought was a, was a hell of a move. Yeah, it actually uh, goes even further than that, as they bring up right here, which is that Renly is the younger brother. There is right. an older Baratheon. So even if for some reason Joffrey were not the rightful king which again, we think Stannis knows, but it's not clear that Renly does, it still wouldn't be him, uh, which Tyrion brings up and asks about it. And uh, and they still have no news of Stannis. We don't know how he's reacted to this. We don't even know what he's doing there. It seems that he's running a pretty pretty tight ship at the moment. But that's a pretty momentous occasion uh, you know, for Renly to stand up and rebel against Joffrey, but not only Joffrey, also his own brother. I think too, and, and I will say that the the mis- the mystery around Stannis, I think, is greater than or more direct than Renly saying like giving the middle finger to his older brother. Mm-hmm. I'm still unclear. Maybe that is what Renly's doing, but like it's not clear to me as it's not clear to Tywin what Stannis is doing. And, and I'll say, I mean, like the next line is, you know, like like Tywin basically says, I have felt from the beginning that Stannis was a greater danger than all the others combined, yet he does nothing. Uh, Varys hears his whispers, and Stannis is building ships. Stannis is hiring sellswords. Stannis is bringing a shadowbinder from Ashai. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? Is any of it true? Who knows? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. it's Stannis is the biggest mystery right now, and we haven't even met him. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm, I'm so curious about this character. You know, at our halfway episode, we kind of went through all the different players that were talked about in that scene between Varys and uh, Magister Illyrio, and we've seen all of them up close uh there are some people who haven't entered the fray yet thinking about um lysa in the eerie and you know that card has not been played and is kind of waited and waiting in the deck uh but stannis is the only one who we have no insight into what his motivations or what his plans are at the moment which leaves him him quite an an interesting enigma on this chessboard that they have going Although we do know that he was with John Aaron discovering the, the, yes. the secrets of the crown. Yes. So he is not ignorant, which makes him even more dangerous, we think, I think. Like, yeah, we think he figured it out. Assuming John Aaron figured it out, he was right there with him. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and assume that he did figure it out. Like, like I think all fingers point towards John Aaron figured it out. Right. John that was Aaron definitely... and Stannis were looking into it. Like, like I think that they, they got it together. They had all the same clues that Ned had, and Ned eventually put it together. And, you know, Ned's kind of dumb, so. Uh, well, can't say much for the head on his shoulders. Hey. Um, with that said, uh, this they, they then pull out a map to basically repeat the shit situation that they're in. Yeah, what we've been uh, talking about this whole time. Yeah. I will say, there is a location that's mentioned. This is, so, so basically, like, like Tywin says, you know, we're making moves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, uh, so tomorrow we're going to make for Heron Hall, uh-huh. which struck me as super familiar, but I do not remember what that is. I was hoping you could shed light on it. We've got some some limited mentions of it, including when Catelyn captured, uh, or when Catelyn arrested Tyrion, one of the knights that was there, or not knights, one of the soldiers that was there was sworn to Lady Went of Heron Hall. Heron Hall is a massive castle in the Riverlands, um, which 
uh, we don't have the history of it at this point, but it's not the seat, obviously, that's River Run, but it's one of the other major players um, in the Riverlands as well. We most recently heard about it because Janice Slint, who was the head of the City Watch of the, the Kingsguard, not the Kingsguard, excuse me, the... The Gold Cloaks. Gold Cloaks, thank you, that's what I was looking for. Uh, head of the Gold Cloaks got promoted and he was given Hall, and that caused some murmurs in the crowd in Sansa's mm-hmm. last chapter because it's such an impressive title and such a, a big land holding, and, and so it's a big deal. So uh, it's just a, a strategic location that... Um, Tywin is saying that they're going to head to. I, and with that said, the, the, and I don't have like the strongest notes here, but basically Tywin says, we're going to head to Hall tomorrow. I, I, and he's talking to Kevin at this point saying like, all right, we're going to strategize on this. And then if I'm not mistaken, uh, Tywin turns to Tyrion and says, and we're happy to take your, you know, shit riders with us to rape and marauder or whatever or he i think he wants to send him somewhere else but basically it leads to Tyrion saying i'd like to continue to command my men uh-huh. to which tywin says that's fine but i don't think they're gonna love being at king's landing where i'm sending you yeah and real we find quick out before we to... yeah go ahead no you keep going i'll come back to it oh i was just gonna say that we we find out that this is what what tywin's plan is is to send Tyrion down to king's landing and i want to get more into that in a second but what were you gonna say I was just going to mention that right before we get to that point, we have an order from Tywin that as they're going to Harrenhal, he's going to send Sir Gregor, Vargo Hoat, mm-hmm. and Sir Amory Lorch to burn the Riverlands, that they are there to pillage and forage and really just uh, execute a reign of terror and of terrorism on these rebellious lands. Uh, and, and, you know, just the violence of that and, and the way he says it, I want to see the Riverlands afire from the God's Eye to the Red Fork. Uh, to which Sir Kevin says, they will burn, my lord, and leaves to go make it happen. So just a sign of the destruction that we have in store from the Lannisters being backed up against a wall here. Right. Uh, but Tyrion is kind of, like, shocked at this news of being sent to King's Landing. And he says, what, what am I going to do there? To which Tywin says, well, you're going to rule. Yes. Uh, to which I think Tyrion kind of cracks up a little bit. He's like, well, I feel like Cersei might have a problem with that, as will Joffrey. Um, but Tywin has clearly thought about this. And, and Tywin, he is not holding you know, holding back on this. Mm-hmm. Joffrey's fucked up. And Joffrey has fucked the Lannisters right now. Yes. Uh, and he's saying that, that you know, Cersei's job was to keep Joffrey in line. And she clearly failed. Yes. Tyrion even kind of fires back and saying, well, wouldn't, don't you want somebody taller? Don't you want somebody of more stature? Uh, to which Tywin says, you're, you're my son. Like, you you are blood to go. I I think I might be skipping some points, which I'd love to come back to, but I did love this moment because here we have Tyrion whose internal reaction is like, you bastard, you've given up on Jamie. That's why you would let me mm-hmm. go. My mind, that wasn't necessarily my takeaway, but even if it was, it's like, you're getting put in the big leagues, man. Like this is this is a promotion. Whether you know this is like like that that other guy who whose father drowned, right? Uh, you know, it's like you're getting them promoted whether you like it or not. Like like the game is in motion right now, and you're getting a huge, huge like like lift. Uh, yeah. You yeah, know, I think he. I think he has both reactions to him, and we see more of one than the other. That's that's for sure. But I I think Tyrion is 
somewhat surprised at the trust that Tywin is placing in him and, and the authority that he's giving him, and surprised in a pleasant way. But that reaction about Jamie, I think, is fair. You know, this is not, as best we can tell, Tyrion is, has not really been given a ton of authority or stature in his father's household before this. And now his mm-hmm. father is putting him into the most important position in the realm here. He's right. not sending Sir Kevin. He's not sending letters. He's not going himself. He's putting Tyrion there. And from Tyrion's perspective, you know, I think I think back on, on the story that Sam up at the wall told about being the older child and how his father realized, okay, I have a better one, the younger one. I'll, I'll just skip this one. I'll send him to the wall and go with this guy instead. This is the reverse. Tyrion is the younger child. And on top of that, he's a dwarf and his father has all of these issues with him. He sleeps with whores and he drinks too much and it is not particularly serious and all of that. And so for Tywin to say, okay, it's time for me to see what I have here. It's time for me to put him into a position to learn and to gain experience and to grow and to begin exerting authority. I think Tyrion understandably reads some into that as you don't think you have an heir at this point. Sure. I or guess at, so, least, but... at least you're planning for the possibility of it, I guess would be the other way to say it. Yeah, but I will say in Tywin's defense, like, Joffrey has beheaded Ned. Yes. They have nobody to bark. Like, like, I don't think this is callousness. This is just reality at this point. Like, yeah, no, it's definitely fuck. smart. Um, on top of that, you have to factor in also Tyrion's love for Jaime. Uh, and so to mm-hmm. hear that, yeah, you know, yeah, even yeah, if yeah. Tywin is correct here, and I think in this instance he is, he's doing the smart thing. Uh, well, the smart thing would have been training Tyrion for leadership from birth, because why not have more... Uh, competent people in the family rather than less but nonetheless i think his reaction to this situation makes sense to me but of course Tyrion is upset by it this is the family member he loves and, and actually cares for and to see tywin react callously harshly with a lack of emotion here as contrasted with earlier in the chapter i i understand that setting him off yeah i get it uh that said the chapter really kind of comes to a conclusion there there's sort of this last little like back and forth that they have a little bit of sniping where tywin says and last thing don't you dare take that whore that you're cuddling with down with you to king's landing and uh the chapter ends with Tyrion kind of getting into bed with that whore being like i think i'm going to take you to king's landing which Uh i thought was like okay fine like i don't care yeah uh just straight up disrespecting tywin there uh and that fits in yep with the the relationship and, and certainly the theme of the chapter um, I do want to mention one last thing, really important note that you just skipped right past yet again. Uh, we got yet another another reference to Thoros of Mir and Beric Dondarrion here. Our hero, Lord Beric, the the man our podcast is, our logo is made for. Uh, so they've been plaguing the Lannister foraging parties and really giving them trouble in the Riverlands there. So, you know, we can't let a mention of him go by without bringing it up. I guess so, but, like, I didn't even... I usually, like, circle every name that we go through, and he's not even circled in my book. How I have no idea. dare you, Michael? Who... The, oh, no, I did. I did. Okay, good. Uh, Thoros of Mir and Beric Dondarrion continue... Yeah. Useless comment. <laughs> I cannot wait to find out. I hope to God that this, like, like Beric Dondarrion, this is the only places that he should... Yeah, he's he, just little no mentions, There's no character right? development. Like, <laughs> like, it's just, like, that guy. Yeah, well, I guess we'll um, see. 
So I, I got to ask you, because we're, we're now at, at the end of Tyrion's story for the book. Yep. He's heading off to King's Landing. He's bringing Shay with him. Uh, how do you see this going for him? We know he and Cersei have some friction in their relationship. He and Joffrey have some friction in their relationship. And being the king's hand did not go so great for Ned. So is he going to be able to whip the court into shape? Is he going to be able to even take charge? Or is he going to get, you know, undermined at every turn? What what do you see in store for him? Oh, I think the former. I think he is going to whip things into shape. I think between his wit and education and smarts and, and, and all of that. But, like, like, all of that's amazing. But at the end of the day, he has the blessing of the father. Right. Like, like this is the father who, as far as I can tell, is the owner of everything that Lannisters have to stand on. Like, like this is not, this is not Catelyn's dad who's decrepit and old and sick and whatever it might right. be. He's out in the. This field. is a man who is like, this is the guy making decisions. And without Lannister father Lannister's support, I don't think there's much of a kingdom for anybody to have. I, I'll say I, they mentioned it in the in the chapter we read. We didn't bring it up, but like. Like, Joffrey was ready to lead an army, his yeah. gold cloaks himself, to go, like, fight some, whatever it was. But it's like, this was brought up as stupidity. You're going to take all of the city watch, you know, away from the city so that you can fight your pathetic battle with no experience as the child. Like, like things are falling apart. And I think that between Tyrion's abilities and, more importantly, I like the blessing of the father i think he's gonna have a lot of free reign to to apply himself as necessary and he will do it is my assumption interesting i, I like that I, I like that in particular with how many times we've gotten referenced over the course of this book that once robert died cersei was the real power in king's landing it seems like that was everybody's right. assumption and now you're saying it's not cersei it's actually tywin and so for tywin to have removed his implicit blessing on Cersei running the show there and instead put Tyrion in place, that that will have great weight in terms of who listens to who. Uh, I like that. That's an interesting way of thinking about things. We'll, we'll have to see how that goes in book two. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if Cersei just murders Ty like Tyrion yeah. very quickly. And it's like, oh, okay. That would be one way to solve um, the problem for sure. Yeah, but no, but that, that's my thing. I think that it's going to be a new shape to King's Landing uh -huh. in, in a really fun way. I'm excited. All right, cool. John 9. Uh, John 9, I'm going to say right now, I did not love this chapter. I thought this was kind of a silly, useless chapter. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it had to shape it in a certain direction, and that the end of the chapter is more significant to kind of, like, lead us forward. But, yeah, we'll go through it. But I thought... I'll, I'll be honest, I agree with you. Uh, John's arc over the course of this book has a lot of fun moments to it, I would say. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I really like the Donald Noy stuff. I like the kind of leadership arc he has mm -hmm. in basic training. But he is fairly underwhelming in book one as a general whole. And I think that this conclusion is uh, in line with that. There's there's not a ton to it. It's got some... It's it's nice. It has nice moments. And it's a thrust ahead into, into where we seem to be going. Sure. Uh, but there's not a ton of substance and i agree with you there so we can we can probably move through it pretty rapidly here yeah uh it starts with john getting on a horse and sam saying please don't do this mm -hmm. uh we find out really quickly john is trying to abandon the night's watch uh he we he's found out very recently about the wars that his brother is a part of and leading yeah uh and he's decided you know like like uh 
whatever the maester's name is, right? Like that guy be damned. Maester Eamon. Uh, yep. Yeah. You know, like, like, like I'm not him. I need, I can't, it's only bad choices. And I'm going to make the bad choice that I think is best here, which is go join my family. It doesn't matter. I'm a, I'm a bastard. I'm, I, I want to be with Rob and I want to support this battle. Right. And I'm going to leave. And Sam says, please don't do it. And he says, I got to. And, and that's it. And he starts to kind of charge away. And he does. He leaves. He leaves the Night's Watch. Yeah. You know, he very quickly, the, really the first highlight I have is a couple of pages in already. Uh, mm-hmm. But John has a whole internal debate with himself about whether this is the right move. Because everything feels wrong, like you were just saying. Even now, yeah. he did not know if it, he was doing the honorable thing. Uh, but he gave up on trying to puzzle it out. He's following his heart here. And, he, you know, if... It turns out he was wrong, and he'll be judged in the afterlife for it. Then so be it. He does have this sort of, and this is a lot of what I think the chapter is: is his own internal debate. I, uh, and he goes back and forth the whole time, you know. And, and I'm just, you know, I think it's a, a line after what you just said, right? No matter what he did, John felt as though he were betraying someone. I. Mm-hmm. Uh, he then goes on to say that, like, you know, like some people, he, he gets it, would not leave, but he really wants to join this fray. But then he kind of contradicts himself again. As much as he wants to join Rob, he still can't imagine Rob smiling at him being there. And he actually recalls back to our first chapter, right. not the prologue, but Bran, Bran 1, and says, you know, we started this book. This whole thing really started with with uh, Ned beheading somebody who abandoned their post at the Night's Watch. Right. John uh, specifically thinks, he, he wonders what Lord Eddard might have done if the deserter had been his brother Benjamin instead of that rag, ragged stranger. Mm-hmm. Would it have been any different? It must, surely, surely. Uh, and it's an interesting question because we've gotten that you know rigid morality from Ned plenty of times where it really does seem like he would execute his own brother in that context. And then, of course, that that is directly contracted contrasted with the last decision that he made uh you know acting for love to to save Sansa and Arya and acting for family and letting that be the thing that that stays ahead of this strict moral north pointing compass that he has um so we're left I think fairly uncertain about what that reaction would have been although I do like that John has to struggle and he does with the question of being a bastard Mm -hmm. you know he's thinking about he, he doesn't go into it directly, right? But, like, what if the deserter was Rob the child? And what if the deserter was Benjen, you know, the brother? Or what if the deserter was John the bastard? Right. Where does that put him? And it, like he says over and over again, he's just in this in this no-man's land of, of, a, of a stature. Um, for his hard, hard riding, this was something I didn't like. Uh, he rides really hard. He's trying to make as much distance as possible, and he makes it to the town that all the Night's Watchmen go to to have sex. Like, right. like he didn't... <laughs> uh, and I will say, that, what is it, Mole's Town? It's a town that's underground. Yeah, because like, For whatever snow. reason. Snow. Uh, but it turns out that, like, apparently for all of the the swearings of celibacy and never leaving their post, apparently a lot of Night's Watchers, like, the, the, the known secret is that they all go there to go to the whorehouse. Right. Um, and he, sure enough, that's kind of where he makes it. Before he starts to hear people on the road behind him, and he gets off the road. Yeah. And he goes to hide with his horse. Uh, and guess who they are? Guess who those people are, Dan? Who? They're his friends. Oh, that's it's good. his friends. I thought it was going to be the others. Uh, yeah. I honestly <laughs> had, had... Part of me was like, I wonder if this was supposed to be like scary for a second. I had that, that image, that sort of like quintessential Tolkien image with Sam and Frodo and... Uh, Marion uh, Pippin. Who else is with? 
Yeah, where they have to like hide on the side of the under the roots. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like famous from the movie. It's a great moment in the book. Uh, but it's like no, there's no. I didn't find any heightened tension here. It turns out it's his friends, and sure enough, Sam Tarley didn't tattle on him too. You know, on John to those people in charge, but to his own friends to go say, go get this man and bring him back. Because in Sam's defense, because John's pretty sour on Sam's, you know, decision to rat him out. Right. But in Sam's defense, like, this is a, this is a, like, punishable by death, like, deserting the nice watch. Like, it's, they're friends, but it's also like, what are you doing, man? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think this is watching out for a friend making a dumb decision and to Sam's credit, doing it in the best way possible. If he goes to, the administration if he goes to the guards then john gets brought back in chains and who knows where it goes from there and you know whether he'd get forgiven uh for for that so having it be them the rest of the recruits the rest of the newbies going to get him is the most merciful way to go about it try and let him hide it as best he can right uh, and they go back and forth, and John says, well, I'll, you'll have to kill me. And they kind of surround him. They're like, listen, there's like six of us or nine of us. Yeah. You're not making it out of here. I want to mention We're gonna real bring you back. quick that uh, John was kind of hidden in the trees and ends up getting found because Ghost pops out and scares his horse. And the horse makes a noise, and that's how they come to them. And I, I find this moment interesting. I like this. It's just a very small moment because Ghost and John kind of have some sort of connection Uh, between them that we've seen over the course of this book and communication or emotion or whatever it may be. And so for Ghost to be the traitor, as John says, you know, kind of sarcastically to him, makes you wonder if he's trying to maybe act similar to Sam and trying to prevent him, trying to get him caught in this context rather than trying to help him stay hidden and, and feed off that sort of energy that he has there. I like that, although I will add, and again, a little bit of, of cynicism from me towards the writing and, and a little bit of crafting that's happening here, mm-hmm. is that Ghost is a trump card. Yes. All the direwolves are. Yes. Uh, there's, there's like, let's say it's nine of his friends, other recruits are there to get him, and it's a friendly conversation. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah, they're talking, there's threats going on, but at the end of the day, like, there's no expectation for there to be a battle here. Right. That said... I think it's 50-50 that the dire wolf is written to understand the situation as Ghost seems to, uh, or to be like, there are swords drawn at my master, I will now murder all these people. Right. Uh, and that's a very different situation that, the, like, storyline for this book to take, which it doesn't, and, and I'm glad it didn't. I think that, that, to your point, and I'd like to believe in this too, to your point, I think Ghost read the situation well from his master. John didn't really want was uncertain which way to go he flipped a coin and chose one but then the scales tipped in the other direction outside of his control and and he was grateful for that yeah it was kind of my feeling and it's also clear that you know Ghost probably knows these friends and knows them as friends and so from that animal perspective you know probably didn't see this situation as being a threat to John and to the extent he's able to kind of resonate with John's emotions maybe John didn't really see it as a threat either he was kind of ah come on guys just let me go not I'm actually going to fight you for this I I don't think John had any of that actual instinct to go to go and try that right that said John finally acquiesces and he kind of begrudgingly gets taken back to the Night's Watch uh, he makes a comment, you know, this time it didn't feel like he was arriving home. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's pissy about it. Okay, fine. Uh, and the next morning he goes, he attends to his duties with Lord Mormont, to which Lord Mormont kind of quickly says, 
how was your night ride last night? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, and, and basically says, listen, I'm not stupid. And you're also, to John's sort of surprise, you're not the first recruit to, to decide to try to, like, go and do something honorable or try to leave. Right. Like, like, we've been keeping eyes on you. And we're glad you're, if it wasn't your friends that brought you back, it would have been the men that we had watching you. There's no way that, like, we were unaware of what your thought process might have been for for hearing about your brother in, in this war effort. Yeah, I, I like this line also. Honor set you on the King's Road and honor brought you back. John says, my friends brought me back. Did I say it was your honor, Mormont responds? Yeah. I, I, I like that. He's uh, He had people watching John and also saw the friends go out and realized they probably didn't need to intervene and make it more of a spectacle than it than it needed to be. I... Uh... Yeah, I also underlined that too. I, I thought that was a great a great comment, and I think that was fantastic. Um, we're really getting very close to the end of the chapter at this point. Uh, the the Lord Mormont adds a little bit of color to some stuff that he's been saying. His sister, I think, is is part of Rob's army. Mm-hmm. Like like John's not the only yeah, one with skin in this game. Have we mage? Yeah, just uh, she she was at Winterfell. You know when when we had that brand yeah. chapter with all of the lords uh arriving she you know has a daughter that she was trying to get rob interested in it was just it was brief mention brief line but we have seen her so we we know she's there mormont then uh puts in like like some things into perspective and he says listen get your shit together john because like like i i understand your desire to want to like go and be a part of this but there are bigger things brewing up here Mm -hmm. and not only that but we're gonna we're gonna go on the offensive we want to we want to go north of the wall and we're 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 going to deal with this problem. We're going to start trying to understand what's going on, what what we witnessed, this supernatural event. Uh, are you going to be part of this or not? You got to make your choice now because we're going to. You're, you're either part of it or you're you're kind of dead to us, sort of thing. Yeah, there's a lot of echoes here with Osha's line from a few chapters ago about Rob mm-hmm. marching the wrong way, which I really love. We we get this list of issues that Mormont is noticing, and we've kind of seen him mentioned this throughout the book even back when we saw him chatting with Tyrion way early on before he had even seen the zombies or or anything of that nature that would confirm things something weird is going on and as somebody who's been here for a while and is in charge and has all of the information that's available to them he's been picking up on the signs that there is something concerning the cold winds are rising snow beyond the wall the shadows lengthen cotter pike writes vast herds of elk streaming south and east toward the sea and mammoths as well he says as one of his men discovered huge misshapen footprints. Whole villages are abandoned. They see fires in the mountains, huge blazes that burn from dusk till dawn. They took a captive, and Mance Raider is massing all his people in some new secret stronghold he's found to what end the gods only know. Do you think your Uncle Benjamin was the only ranger we've lost this past year? He, you know, mm. there are so many signs that there is something amiss beyond the wall, and they are the only ones who are prepared or even able to deal with it as the only ones who are on this border. And he, he ends it with the line, do you think your brother's war is more important than ours? Uh, which is, is such a great way of putting it. They have already fought dead men come back to life. They know what this means. They know what it is they're right. looking at. Yeah. And, I mean, that really does round out the chapter, and I think it rounds it out in a, in a wonderful way. I didn't love this chapter, but it sets up the next, the John, you know, scenario really, really well for what's about to happen in the next book, I can assume. Uh, but I'm excited for it. I, 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 that's, I don't have anything else to add to this chapter. That's, you know, John had his little fit of, of bravery or whatever you want to call it, 
And Mormont kind of, you know, snapped him out of it and said, pay attention to what's going on. Like, your ego does not matter right now. Yeah, well, we, we need to say outright where it is that this plot is going, because the chapter ends with Lord Commander Mormont saying, I need to find out what happened to Benjen and those other rangers. I'm leading myself. We're going out in full force. We're going north of the wall now. Uh, and, and so that's our setup for where we're headed from here and really the important takeaway from this chapter. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't know if I have any questions about that. That kind of just opens up a whole new arena in John's yeah. story here. Um, what about you? Do you have any any parting thoughts with John as we leave him behind in book one? No, I just think that like it's uh, you know compared to the Tyrion chapter where it's new things happening in places where we've been, this really felt like a new area of the map being unlocked. Yeah. We're going north of the wall. We're about talking about the Mance Raider stuff, talking about all this exactly everything that you just said. I'm excited to now explore what was once a locked area into an unlocked area. Uh, I think it's going to be fun. I like that. That's a good way to put it. All right. Should we jump into the last chapter that we read this time? Let's do it. Catelyn 11. Eleven. How excited uh, are you to have one last Catelyn chapter? Uh, I'm real excited for more self-validation of things that I've been saying before. <laughs> if only, like, It may still be the same thing that I've... like. It's only one thing I've said, but yeah, fair I'm enough. excited about that. Uh, that said, we're with Catelyn. We're at River Run. Uh, I'm waiting for you to correct me. River yeah, Run, River right? Run. Yeah, no, I, I, I have to. Here. It's been ages. I have to give you some uh, credit here. Uh, you had predicted that we would just kind of skip ahead past that next stage of the battle. Uh, and, of course, we got our summary from Tyrion's chapter about what happened at River Run. Um, but here we are. They are now inside. We, we didn't see firsthand any of that fighting at the camps and around the rivers that that was being described there uh we are in catelyn's perspective so even though we're in rob's war camp kind of like at this moment uh this is coming from the eyes of catelyn obviously i will say that i mean really early in this chapter as she starts to catelyn's perspective seems to be one of concern she is aware of vulnerabilities and i think there's a real motherly aspect here and if mm -hmm. i've given any crap about like the writing of catelyn before uh, I, I I think it's really done nicely. I love that she's starting to notice how rusty some of the you know the the battlements are. Right? Are they really going to hold? You know, we won this battle, but is this? Are we ready for for war? War? Is this really going to sustain? I uh, I think it's the right questions. Although I also think it's the questions that when the war is already starting, they're not. It's not the time to be asking. Like, uh, uh, but but I enjoyed yeah. hearing that perspective from her. I think it's a much more interesting way to do the thing we've been complaining about for a couple of her perspectives, which is she is grieving. She's already lost Ned. This is, you know, her fears are being realized. Her family is being broken up and kind of scattered to the wind. Ned has been killed. And we've seen all book that all she really wanted was to be in Winterfell with her family around her, and, and that is being taken from her. And so for her to channel that into fear, into concrete worries that she has about the things around her, about the strength of the castle, and the strength and abilities of Rob's forces, and whether they can fight this war, seems like a really realistic way to do it. Her general anxiety about the state of her life being placed into specific things that she can't even really fix, uh, but, but nonetheless is hyper fixating on i think is an interesting way to show us how she's dealing with her grief there's a fun play that she has between seeing what exists now and her memories of being a child here there's a small reference to you know oh here's this place where peter baelish and brandon stark once crossed swords for her favor small things like that 
Uh, she's quickly invited to come see her father. Uh, she's told just how sick he is. Mm-hmm. And she says, why didn't he tell me? And she's told, listen, like, ravens get intercepted and, you know, messengers get intercepted. And we didn't want anybody to know how weak we were over here. Yeah. Because out of fear that they might attack. To which Catelyn, as I think she should, chastises herself. It's her fault. It's your... She's, it was your doing, she says to herself. <laughs> yours. If you had not taken it upon yourself to seize the dwarf. I think that, that what she did with Tyrion that I bitched about to no end earlier in this book is a you know, sort of junior version of what Joffrey did with Ned. It was an eagerness to jump into a fray that wasn't as well thought out as it could have been. Right. Obviously, her sister was a, was a bummer in that whole thing as well. But, uh, but yeah, I think that, that she was a part of... That she's feeling the right feelings. That she should feel a little guilty here. But, of course, things are out of her control, too. And I get, I get that. Yeah, that makes, uh, that makes a lot of sense. I like that comparison, too. That she shattered the peace with the Lannisters and kind of triggered that reaction. And, you know, I've defended that decision in a variety of ways, but I think that that's the fairest criticism of it. That that was necessarily going to result in a military response from the Lannisters. And that was clearly not forefront of her mind when she made the split-second decision to arrest him. Right. That said, she and her father talk for a little bit. He's clearly in pain. Uh, I, I underline this quote. The crabs are in my belly, pinching. Uh, yeah, there's a lot which, of, uh, of fish and, and sea life imagery yeah, from the Yeah, I enjoyed castle. that. I was like, okay, yeah, you guys live on a river. I get it. <laughs> um, there, there's a little bit of sort of family commentary that goes on, you know, comment that her father never, you know, gave up on the on bitching about how his brother i think like the blackfish uh never married and she kind of self-comments like god you're dying like you can't let this go already he didn't want to take away yeah i believe uh that that is what caused the blackfish to leave to begin with was Mm -hmm. they got into a big argument seems like they had not had the the or rather that they had a very fiery relationship before that and then he arranged a marriage for Brendan, and Brendan refused it. And at that point, it was like, I can't live here anymore, and got out. And so this is just, you know, reopening the same scab 20, 30 years later, whatever it may be, as you lay in your deathbed is a, a funny way to go about life. Right. Um, that said, it, I mean, it really is, the, the battle is won. I mean, I, like, like, there's no, like, hard pressure right now. Uh, the, the, the war is not over for sure. But she finishes seeing her father. She talks quickly with the Blackfish himself, uh, to which he kind of chuckles about this. There uh, is, did you have something that you wanted to point out before? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, there is just another moment. Obviously, Brendan came from the Vale, and Hoster asks if Lysa has come to see him off. Uh, mm-hmm. Speaking of the, the family dynamics, see him off, you know, because he, he knows he's dying as well as anybody else. Uh, and Catelyn doesn't really have the heart to tell uh, him what's going on with Lysa. But of course, this was part of the conversation that they were having. Why don't you come with me? Why doesn't your son come with me? Let's be a family. And, uh, and, and Lysa kind of rejecting that out of hand. And so we're just kind of getting a call back here to that from Lord Hoster. Yeah, no, I like that. Uh, that said, she kind of goes and, and she wants to get Rob to bring Rob to come see her father. Uh, and so she goes looking for him. She finds, you know, Theon... At, you know, basically, like, drinking, you know, in, in the Great Hall or whatever it might be and telling people at River Run the story of the battle. Mm-hmm. She asks, where's, you know, where's Rob? And, and he says, oh, he's in, he's in the Godswood. Uh, which I just thought was a really nice 
not I don't care about Theon right now, and I don't really care about Catelyn that much at all. But like I thought it was a, a sweet thing to realize that that Rob is more than just this bloodthirsty. Per- like like he is participating in the traditions. He's Ned's son, uh, and she says that it, it, she yeah. says that too. It's what Ned would have done. He is trying so hard to be his dad in every way. We saw it with the diplomacy aspects. We saw it with the battle planning, and now we're seeing it from the religious perspective. He's uh, he's a kid trying to wear his father's shoes because he's now you know the man of the household, and uh, and and really working with that. And Cat sees it and appreciates it in the moment as well. And we have again just through her eyes, obviously this whole chapter. But she she goes to the Godswoods and sees him there praying with others, other leaders that he was with, and she comments even these were the, this is their gods, these are the ones who who keep the old gods. Uh, and, you know, it's not just, you know, her young son pretending to be dad, but it's a group of them. There, there, right. There's This is the tradition of this area. She also continues to have these sort of memories of her own youth, what this area was to her, to her sister, you know, playing with Peter Baelish and doing these sort of silly Play, things. Playing and, and kissing with Peter Baelish. And kissing. But then she goes on a, on a wonderful sort of thought process that I enjoyed where... She starts to ask herself, has Rob been kissed? Like, mm-hmm. surely he has to have been, right? But, I mean, the kid's still a kid. And yeah. here he is. There's a chance that he hasn't. And I just thought that was a lovely sort of human moment, especially for a mother to have. A mother who I would say, as the role of a mother, may more often than not be anti the idea of their kid growing up and kissing and fooling right. around, is now saying, God, I hope he has. I hope that he was able to kiss before he killed Right. And I thought that was a really sweet moment. I love that. Yeah, that's great. Um, Rob stops praying. He finishes his prayers. And she says, come come see your grandfather. And he says, we can't yet. There's news and there, we need to start talking. And he repeats the news that we found out about Renly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Renly's made his play for the crown. Um, the rest of the chapter, in my mind, moves very quickly. Uh, and so I'm going to say it does, yeah. and... and jump in as 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 you as you have say but basically like a meeting is called for all the leaders to come together and start discussing what brenly's done yeah we hear that uh, what are we doing we hear that the river lords have all kind of returned they had scattered when jamie got there and started besieging the place uh and so people are starting to come back in and create a, a single unified force which is obviously a big deal from that the perspective of that conversation we were having about the 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 map, the strategy map, and, and where the mm-hmm. Lannisters are and where the army is. Uh, Rob, through this gambit and through taking River Run and beating Jamie, Jamie there, has both managed to sever the Lannisters from each other, completely defeat one of the armies, and also concentrate his forces in a way that they hadn't been before, and so really flip the numbers advantage that the Lannisters had had. This conversation turns into a real question of what are we doing? Uh, we being us of the north in this army that is here. Mm-hmm. The question is, well, you know, are we... We're not fighting to free Ned anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, Ned's, Ned's dead, uh, as they say. Right. Uh, you have this, this battle happening in the south now that's about to start between the, the Baratheon household, Joffrey, and Renly Baratheon, right. who's saying, I'm the king. And... I, and I, I mean, I really am just going to skip to the end, where basically they all say, well, why are we even part of this anymore? 
what 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 do we have to do with any of this nonsense that's going on we should go back to being our own separate kingdom in the north yeah let's let's three cheers for king rob basically uh and they all sort of put their swords up for it and say let's do this let's let's we're, we're going to secede from this 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 sort of grouping of nations and, and king in the north our previous state yeah. king of the north yeah there's a line in there uh i believe from the great john who says it was the dragons we kneeled to and the dragons are all dead uh so this is you know a return to that pre-unification state which i think is interesting the specifics that they get into throughout their conversation are helpful for understanding the game board and understanding the perspectives but i want to ask you uh to guide how we're talking through it what are your thoughts you know the options in front of them here they had written south to free ned and like you said that is no longer an option but it also leaves them in a difficult position where they are in open rebellion against Joffrey. So they can't exactly put their swords down and go home and say it's all good. Uh, and of course, the remaining option, um, having just heard about it, is going to Renly and saying, we'll back you because Joffrey will kill us if we don't beat him. So what are your thoughts on the choice they make and, and where would you have wanted to see them go? I think... You know, they bring up something throughout this conversation that did not cross my mind, but I'm glad it was brought up, which is, what are we doing? Yeah. Right? Like, like, you know, watching a television show, and I don't even mean Game of Thrones in particular, but, like, just in general, like, like you know, I, I'm reading the book right now, or I'm watching whatever TV show, like, I'm caught up in the pathos of the characters that I'm watching. But these characters need to be part of a greater political system that's going on, and that's what they're talking about here. Uh, do we really want to rebel against the king right now? Are we really trying to pick a side? And, you know, I hate to be the guy that does this, but, like, it's like, yeah, they don't want to play in this Game of Thrones. It's not for them. It does nothing for them. It's a bunch of characters who don't seem too relevant. I like this choice. Okay. Yeah. I don't... The one thing that's missing from this conversation that I would have been interested in is, like, supplies and, like like like, actual questions of whose army is bigger uh you know right. if we're about to secede do we really have the numbers do we really have the men are we really that unreliant on you know what's happening in the south because if so then great if the, if the point was a unification and ned was the last bastion of that sort of like like yes we need to do this and he died for it for no good reason then then like okay great it's not clear to me some of the economics here. Yeah. Are like trade goods coming in from the south? I don't know. But they seem to all be pretty happy about it, so I like it. No, I think that that's a really good point, and we do have a lot of that information at our disposal as well. Uh, but that speaks to the political choice that they're making and all of the factors that go into it. There is a world, I guess, where having the stronger position right now militarily they negotiate a truce and get guarantees from the Lannisters and say, you know, we're going back home. Maybe we get some increased autonomy short of being independent or things of that nature. Uh, but we're not here to take you off the throne. We're definitely not here to put Renly on it. We were here to save Ned. That's done. Give us our sisters back. Let us go home and call it a day. Uh, choosing to not do that, choosing to instead declare independence and make their way out, opens them up to the sort of enforcement you can't negotiate that you know that's not going to be on the table with the right. lannisters um and of course there is also the the emotional aspect of losing ned and, and ned's murder 
uh, at Joffrey's hands that Tyrion was talking about that informs things too. Uh, what we know of the economics and the geography is that the north is, is fairly poor and rural, uh, but it is also quite defensible. It has the neck at the south, and everything north of that is theirs. And so if they were to pull back across that line and hold their own, that is where the kings in the north uh, held things for centuries until the dragons came. The Riverlands is not, and as Catelyn points out, has no ancestral ties to the north. This, this, this was not the kingdom before Aegon the Conqueror got there. The Riverlands is a central area. It actually wasn't even one of the seven kingdoms in its own right. It was conquered by the Iron Islands, where Theon is from. Uh, and so that was the king of the islands and rivers when, when Aegon the Conqueror got there. So it just leaves them in an awkward position. If it was just the king in the north, then maybe this is something that they could actually defend and do. You know, you, you fortify Moat Caelan and you say, come and take it if you want it. But having this additional space, this additional territory that they are effectively taking from the crown in King's Landing opens them up to much more danger and much more attack. They're stuck between the west with the Lannisters, the east with the Erie, if they ever decide to get involved, and King's Landing to the southeast, and they don't really have any defenses at all, which is why they got steamrolled to start the fighting. So right. this decision, for better or worse, leaves Rob and his crew in a position of they're going to really need to carve out this territory with force if they have any hope of actually establishing the independence that they're talking about here. Yeah, but more power to them. Like, let's go. Yeah. What, what about Renly? Did that intrigue you at all? We have the argument here from Mark Piper. Uh, Renly is crowned. Highgarden and Storm's End support his claim, and the Dornishmen will not be laggardly. If Winterfell and Riverrun add their strength to his, he will have five of the seven great houses behind him, six if the Aarons bestir themselves. So, you know, just from a practical standpoint, seems pretty good. Did that grab you at all at any point in time? It did, but I, I... It is really hard for me to understand, like, how much is bluster versus how much is, like, real on the ground. Mm -hmm. The first mention that we've really had of Renly like this was really in the chapter that we saw in the beginning of this episode of our podcast with Tyrion, right? Like, like that's all of a sudden... Last... Like, let's start even before that. Last we saw Renly, he abandoned Ned. Right. Like, like he was there and he said, you know, abandoned might be a strong word, but he basically said, like, hey, man, we got to we gotta get out of yeah, here. Yeah, like, I'll help you. Said, and Ned says no, and then he left. Right. Uh, that said, leading up to that, there was no sense in my mind that Renly had any type of support, army, or even, like, intentions of doing something at, at such a great level. Mm -hmm great in the sense of large and grandeur like much more than like like positive right he certainly hasn't been any type of a leader that we've seen he was joking around yeah. with with baelish in in council right now we did as you mentioned just a little bit earlier right we did have reference to the tyrell family and maybe trying to get Mar marjorie i think right like like put in front of uh What's his name? The king in the front time. of Robert. Yeah, the Tyrells are one of the great houses, so they're a big deal. And it's it's as is mentioned here. Renly, despite being the younger, is the Lord of Storm's End, which is the Baratheon seat. So that is, I, I, we don't know how secure it is or whether there are fractures within those groups, but he does at least on paper have two of the great houses resources behind him right now, which is I get the that, same as I what Rob can say. 
Yeah, but I think that at the same time, like, it wasn't long ago that we were sitting with Rob at the Twins with somebody who was supposed to be on his side. Right, exactly. With real uncertainty. So I think that there's a lot of politics going on right now. I think that if it was clearly one-sided, the Lannisters wouldn't have been as much of a threat or had the ability to do what they just did with Joffrey doing what he did. I think that, yeah, like, it's intriguing to me to know what's going on, but in all honesty, I'm on king of the north like mm-hmm. l- let's let's avoid the fracas that's going that's nutty down there like who knows it from all perspectives especially from the north the south is falling apart yeah it's falling apart right now like like what was supposed to be a unification is no longer standing and it's time to embrace the reality and and i think that's what they're doing and i think that's what makes sense i will say as a looking forward type of thing i'm interested to see if the North is as strong as they think they are, and they rebuff everybody else, and the North expands. Or, like, early book two, the North gets flayed. Right. Like, like, like the South is, like, whatever's happening in the South, they're unified as a South to say the North needs to stay part of this. And all the leaders that we've met here, Rob included, ends up with their heads on pikes. Yeah. Like, you're just totally, totally mis you know, misunderstanding what, what the situation is. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of emotion in this. I mean, you know, it's, it's a raucous scene at the end with them all chanting and they're mm-hmm. also working with, uh, you know, the, their blood is up from the battle and also Ned just died and all of these things. And you could easily imagine how that would lead them into making the stupid strategic decision. Um, there is mm-hmm. one last option on the table that is worth mentioning because it comes up in this chapter and we haven't really spoken about it, uh, you know, since, the Tyrion chapter, which is Stannis. Uh, Rob, once again, sounding quite a lot like Ned, says, you know, I don't know where to go with this. Obviously, we can't trust Joffrey at this point, but Renly is not the king. Even if we were to take down the Lannisters and strip all the Lannisters, we're left with Stannis. Uh, He actually specifically says, Bran can't be the Lord of Winterfell before me. Um, So it's interesting to think about how destabilizing Renly's choice would be to to your point about who's behind him. There are plenty of lords who, backing the younger son, would put their own position in jeopardy and may have their own independent problems with it. Um, But Stannis also, as we've been saying, has not done anything yet. So I I just wanted to put that out there since it is talked about and and since we've been talking a lot about him. But we really don't have a ton to work off of there. Yeah, but I do think that it does lead us to an interesting beginning to book two for the North. Is like they they have now put a a, you know line in the sand saying we're going to take our take our ball and go home. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we'll have to see. Man, how many chapters do we have left in this book, Dan? Just one. We're reading Daenerys 10 next week, and and then that's it. Let's do it. All right. Talk to you next time. All right. Bye, Dan. That's all for this episode. Next week, we'll be discussing one chapter, A Game of Thrones, Danny 10. If you enjoy our episodes, please help us out by subscribing subscribing and rating. I'm sorry. What was that, Dan? Subscribing. No, 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 no. no. (laughs) Subscribing, you idiot. It's when you both subscribe and rate. Uh, <laughs> wow, subscribing. Oh, I like that. Okay, I take back my criticism. If you enjoy our episodes, please help us out by subscribing and rating the podcast and tell us your feedback uh, on Twitter or at our email address. Thanks, as always, for listening.